I want you to imagine that you're standing in God's courtroom. Satan is there. He's the skilled prosecutor. He's brought his case against you. He's laid out every detail of every one of your sins. Really, he's provided proof, undeniable evidence, that you have committed heinous crimes against a holy God. The case has shown quite clearly that you are by nature and action a lawbreaker. You've worshipped other gods. Really, you've sought your own glory, your own pleasure and success without any reference to the God that has made you or anybody else. Yes, you've used this life in vain. You've used the Lord's name in vain. You've not honored your parents, but rather you've disregarded their place. You've shunned their wisdom. You've not physically murdered anyone, but in your heart is bitterness and anger, malice, hatred, rage toward all those who have hurt you or offended you. You've often been caught in an act of lying. You have no integrity. You're a hypocrite. Your relationships are divided. There's discord. There's lust. There's covetousness. You always seem to want things that weren't yours. Immorality. The sins are endless. You've always wanted things that aren't yours. Your, your sins are pervasive. There's no real defense. And it seems as though the death penalty waits you. And yet, there's another lawyer in the room. He's your defense attorney. And his name is Jesus. He tells the judge that while you have indeed committed these crimes, no one denies it. There's additional evidence that's being brought forth in the case that bears weight on the outcome. Another person has fully and sufficiently, perfectly, received the condemnation for the crimes that you've committed. That person has fully paid back the debt that was owed to the triune God. Really, your attorney himself has died in your place. He has satisfied all of God's just, righteous anger against you. You have received this act of grace by faith and full reliance upon Him. So God has heard the case against you. He has also heard the defense that Jesus brings on your behalf. And His gavel has been raised. And His decision has been made. And upon His divine authority, because of Jesus' death on your behalf, and because of His resurrection that was victorious over the grave, and that because you have received this gift, by faith in that work, His decision is irrevocably not guilty. 
Jesus supplied for us what we needed most, righteousness in our standing before God. And now you have been justified, right? You have been justified. Romans 1 through 4 brought us to that climax. You have now been justified in chapter 3. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Justified means this. You are not guilty in God's courtroom. So if you have faith in Jesus Christ... You are not guilty. What an astounding gift. No condemnation. No guilt for those who know and trust in Jesus Christ. Imagine that moment in the courtroom where the, where the, where the um, accused party, us, hear that word, that phrase, not guilty. That is enough for eternal joy. That is enough for satisfaction in Him. But as we're about to see as we enter back into the book of Romans today, that while the not guilty verdict is enough for our joy, it is not all that we have in this verdict. Justification. There is more. Without sounding like some corny infomercial this morning. But wait. There is more. Too late. I already sound corny. Thanks, Dewey. There is more than a not guilty decision that God has provided for us in the gift of justification. I don't know what your view of salvation is this morning. We talk about being saved all the time. Saved from hell, yes. But there's so much more than just a ticket of getting out of hell someday. There is massive implication. There is greater impact in this gift of justification that we might realize on the surface. And so today we start the next four chapters in Romans unashamed of the gospel. Not just because of its truth that we are not guilty because of Jesus Christ. But because of its impact. The impact that justification now brings to our life, our walk with God, our standing before Him, and of course our eternity with Him. We are just beginning. There is more for us who know this righteousness in Jesus Christ. So if you're here today with this insatiable craving for more, guess what? There is more. There is more in Christ's gift of justification. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. We're going to see how there's more, why there's more, and the implications of it. Romans 5 verses 1 through 5. Paul says this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character 
produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God abides forever. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. There's one thing that we see the people of this world crave. It's peace. Peace. When they talk about peace, they typically talk about it amongst the, in these terms. They say an in, in, in inner tranquility. Right? This self, uh, it's, it's inner peace. A peace with self. And if you understand at all kind of the cultural landscape, you know that anxiety medications are being purchased and taken out in, in, in just historic levels. Again, I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. Like, I'm not saying don't take medication. I'm just saying that anxiety levels are very high. And so people, what are they craving? Some sort of rest from that turmoil. Some sort of uh, ending of that, that, that angst inside of their soul. They want peace. When they talk about peace, they're typically referring to a peace with themselves. And also a peace uh, with others. Right? Again, we look at the world in which we live and we see a lot of hostility. In America, across the globe, we see a lot of discord and division. And we're always crying out for some kind of peace. We typically cry out for this in the name of, of tolerance, of acceptance. And the crazy thing is the Pew Research Center, no matter how hard we grasp for peace in this world, the Pew Research Center says that, 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 uh, that social hostilities are at a six-year high. A six-year high. That 65% of the people that live in our world live in a place where there's social hostility based on religion. They do so at a moderate to high level. Now, some of us are numb to that because we live in suburban America. Right? We're, we see it on Facebook, maybe, maybe on Fox News, but at the end of the day, we have numbed ourselves from this global reality. But there's still something wrong inside of us. There's still something wrong uh, in terms of our relationship with other people. And yet, Paul says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now understand this, Paul is not referring to that kind of peace, a subjective inner peace, a tranquility in our heart that makes us feel good about ourselves. He's not even talking about a peace with other people in the world in which we live. He's talking about something that is not symptomatic of the problem. He's talking about the problem itself, the core issue, the disease, not the symptom. He's talking about an objective peace that is given in relationship with God. He's saying that if you have been justified, if you have a not guilty verdict in God's courtroom, that you live in an objective standing before God that is characterized by peace. You no longer have hostility with God. There is no enmity between you and a holy God on the basis of your sin. You are now objectively, whether you feel it or not in the moment, objectively standing in God's presence in a state of peace. 
That is the war between a holy God and an angry and a and a and a and a, uh, and a sinful humanity is over. The peace treaty was authored and signed in the blood of Jesus Christ, and now we are a people based on faith in Christ. We are a people who now enjoy eternal peace with God, undeniable, objective, non-hostile relationship with God. What a profound thing. You see, justification does not just give us some neutral standing in relationship with God. It gives us peace, peace with Almighty God that we were once at enmity with. We're going to see next week the, the idea of reconciliation, that we were once uh, at enmity with God, enemies of God, and now because of Jesus Christ, we are no longer enemies, but we have been reconciled back into relationship with Him, and our relationship to a holy God is now characterized by peace. And oh, by the way, that peace is what leads to healing and redemption and freedom in the other more subjective forms of peace. Right? That if we have peace with God, we can surely have a subjective inner peace about who we are. If we have peace with God, that radically transforms our relationships with other people. As Ephesians chapter 2 talks about, He Himself is our peace, Jesus. And what does that do? It breaks down a dividing wall of hostility that exists between Jew and Gentile. Really, any wall of hostility that exists in relationship to somebody else, that Jesus has secured for us a peace. But the world doesn't look for that. They just want peace with one another. They want peace with self. But we have to understand that that comes from a peace with God, that the gift of justification provides for us. When God says not guilty, it means that we are at peace with Him. The war is over. Amen? What an amazing gift that is. What are the implications for you in your life if you're no longer living at enmity with God? You don't have to avoid Him. You don't have to run away from Him. But if you're at peace with God, you can enjoy intimacy with Him, connection with Him. You can get to know Him and you can be fully known by Him without any sense of insecurity or a lack of acceptance from His hand. Because we're at peace with God. Reconciled through the work of Jesus Christ. There is more for us than a not guilty included in the gift of justification. What an awesome thing. And not only that, there is more. Included in God's gift of justification is an irrevocable standing in grace. Look at what he says. He says, Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. You know, there was a moment as a teenager that I'll never forget. It shaped me probably uh, more negatively than I want to admit, but also as the conclusion came out and understood the truth of this, 
it has shaped my understanding of my relationship with God because of Jesus Christ. I was uh, in a place where most people would look at me as a teenager and probably say, oh, he's fallen away, or he's in the process of falling away. He is backsliding. Someone finally get an amen out of that word, right? He's backsliding. And a a well-intentioned friend who cared about me very much, he said to me, you know, here's the deal. Based on where you are, I'm telling you right now, if Jesus were to return, based on the sinning going on in your life, if Jesus were to return, you're going to go to hell. You're going to go to hell. Because you're sinning. You're actively sinning. If Jesus were to return right now, you're going to go to hell. It scared the living daylights out of me. I'll never forget that. It left this idea in my mind that my obedience level, up or down, was going to have a direct effect on God's acceptance level of me, up and down. Like, if if I'm obeying God, then God loves me. God accepts me. If if I'm not obeying God, then, then God doesn't love me anymore. That there almost was this falling in and out of security based on my performance. Some of you may have received that kind of counsel in your own journey. But you understand the nature of that, the poison that is, the the contrary nature of the gospel that that provides. You see, what the text says is that through him, through Jesus Christ, what he has done, his performance, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We are a people declared not guilty who are standing in grace. Before, we used to stand condemned in reference to the law. But now through faith in Jesus Christ, we no longer stand condemned on the basis of the law. In Christ, the law has been fulfilled. But now, we are people standing in grace. That there's a new principle that, that dictates and drives our whole aspect of our relationship with God. And it's grace. It doesn't go up and down based on our performance. Someone say amen to that. It does not go up and down based on our performance. No, this is an irrevocable standing. If Jesus unlocks the door of grace through his work and walks you into grace and lets you stand in the presence of God, in the presence of of the throne room of grace, if Jesus brings you in there, you are in there. And that door is shut. And you stand on the basis of grace in the presence of a holy God because Jesus stands there with you perfect in your place. It is a wonderful thing to think about. That our acceptance uh, from God is not based on our performance in God's presence. It's based on Christ's performance and He has introduced us into grace. It's irrevocable. It's irrevocable. Now understand this. That, what are the implications of that? Right? Not licensed to sin. Hey, it don't matter. We can just keep on sinning. No, that kind of grace inspires a holiness, does it not? And when I came to grips with that grace, it inspired that kind of holiness and repentance in me. Right? There's something defeating about the try hard, do good, be better approach to our walk with God. Every time I try to show God how great I can do for Him, I find myself falling short miserably and feel, living in a sense of defeat. 
Every time I measure myself to God based on my own righteousness, it always falls short. It always never makes it. And I find myself defeated, and I find myself giving up in relationship with God. But when I see that Christ has unlocked the door of grace and introduced me and given me access to standing grace, and that it is His work, His performance, His perfection, I'm given the assurance that I need to obey, to trust, to move forward. Some of you here today may be feeling that. Your walk with God it seems to be struggling right now. And you think to yourself, God doesn't love me. God doesn't accept me. The law hangs over me. My performance is, is clearly lackluster. And, and you're finding yourself in the midst of your guilt and condemnation and your self-frustration getting farther and farther away because you can never measure up. Listen to me. It's not about you measuring up. Find the freedom of the gospel that Jesus, on the basis of his death and resurrection, has introduced you to grace. And on the basis of his work, you stand in that grace. And you will never fall because of him. That's what's included in justification. If God has called you, declared not guilty, guess what? You, have, you stand irrevocably in grace. You ain't moving. It ain't changing. Praise God. Trust in Christ and rest in His work. Christopher Ash says, this standing is a definite standing, status. Not an experience that comes and goes with our feelings. We do not wander to and fro between being under grace and under sin. No, if God has declared us not guilty, we have an irrevocable standing in grace. That is the gospel. Find that in any other world religion. Nope. God did it for you. God brought you in. God covers you. He's your high priest. He gives you access to the throne of grace. You stand in grace. That will not change because of justification. Amen? There's more for us than not guilty. Included in God's gift of justification. There's more. There's more. And not only that. Look at what he goes on to say. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since we have been justified by faith, through Him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And since we have been justified by faith, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. There is great hope for the Christian. Great hope in this day of another day. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What a shift that's taken place in Romans. If you go back to chapter 3, it could be a verse you've memorized before. It says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our relationship to God's glory is that we keep falling short in our sin. But now because of justification, we're not talking about falling short of the glory of God. No, we're rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. 
What a shift that takes place. Such a hope for the Christian. Hoping for the glory of God. And yet this hope in this day for another day that we have is in sharp contrast to the world in which we live that says has an insatiable uh, 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 kind of or, 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 or just consumed with the present is what I'm trying to say. The world today is consumed with now. Dude, I've been Chick-fil-A four times this week. So, well, I'm just going to blame Chick-fil-A for that. I got my 30, 35s back on, you know. Thanks, Dewey. Thanks. In this moment, we laugh. Culture is infatuated with the moment. You say, tell me more. I say, okay, I'm going to tell you more. Some of you have maybe heard of the author Eckhart Tolle. No? Good. Anyway, Eckhart Tolle is kind of this new, like, woo, spiritual guru out there. Writes a lot of books, and she's good, or he's good buddies with everyone's favorite spiritual advisor, Oprah. Right? America's pastor. Now, Olstein on the one hand, what? Oprah on the other. You see, she has this enlightenment spiritual enlightenment conversation with Eckhart Tolle, and this is what he says. He says, realize deeply that the present moment is all you have. Make the now the primary focus of your life. He goes on to say, life is always just this. It's always the now. You hear it like this, this philosophy. I'm learning to just be present in the now. Mm, amen. That's what people say. I'm learning to just be present in the now. Right? Friends, in the Christian life, we are not defined by the now. That's a lie. For the Christian, there is another day coming that defines who we are. And that day is coming. It is not here yet, but that day is coming. The implications of that philosophy are obvious. If it's just about the now, man, what are the ethics of that? If you have no hope for the future, what if the now is awful? What if your now is full of pain and sorrow and difficulty and suffering? Sounds great if you're living in the joy and and prosperity of American culture. The now. But what if the now is not so great? What do you have? Friends, we are not defined by the now. We have more in the Christian life than the now. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Our greatest joy is not in today. Our greatest joy is in another day that we await when Christ returns and appears in all of His glory. That's what we wait for. And not only that, but it's saying we rejoice in our suffering. You see, an understanding that another day is coming that defines us, that we await, it radically reshapes the way that we approach difficulty in the present moment. It radically reshapes the way that we endure and face this day's troubles. Not only do we rejoice 
in the hope of the glory of God. No, but we even rejoice in our sufferings, he says. Why? Because we know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. There's something meaningful about suffering, current difficulty, walking and treading through this life, through the, through the difficulties and, and struggles that we face, the, the pressure that we have in this world because we are Christians, the persecution, the silencing. Don't talk about Jesus here or there. The hostility that we endure as Christ followers in this world. It can be overwhelming. All the situational struggles that we have, it can be overwhelming. Suffering has a way, uh, when not embraced by faith, of shaking us. Of calling into question our hope. Saying, God, God has no plans for me. God doesn't love me. This isn't fair, what I'm enduring. Right? Suffering has a way of, of doing that to us. And suffering can easily feel like a problem that we need to solve and experience that, man, we just need to avoid this no matter what it takes. But we see here that when we have a joy in the hope of the glory of God, that this present life, it gives, it gives us an understanding of suffering that is quite different than that. Quite different than what the world gives us. That suffering has functional value. Struggles produce something in us. And as it, 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 we experience suffering, we gain endurance in this life. We're able to handle and walk through these things and persevere. And that as we persevere time in and time again, that there's something that's being produced in us, and it is character. People look at us and say, wow, they've, they've passed the test. They've passed the test. And the character uh, that they see is Christ-like. They see Jesus in the way that we walk through suffering and difficulty. And in the end, when we look on that, all that does is produce greater hope. Right? Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. Now again, in a microcosm, we may look at where we are right now and we may conclude, man... I'm not doing well. Things are not good. I'm not making any progress in life or in my relationship with God. Have I even, am I even a Christian? Really? Like in a microcosm. You see the money that you're spending and you, you see the decisions that you're making. You know your inner thought life and what it's drawn to. You know the, the coldness of your heart because of a situation that you're facing in the moment, you may be in the midst of a moment, and you may be struggling so intensely that you're now starting to conclude, I might not even be a Christian. Man, is God even in my life? Like, where is He? Is He present? Where is God? And then the Spirit of God begins to speak to you because He begins to give you a 30,000 foot view of where you are in relationship to where you once were. And then you've woken up to the reality that, yeah, this moment is hard. It's calling for endurance, but it's all playing a role in conforming you to Jesus. And that the big view that looks over the landscape of your life is showing that the Holy Spirit, over time, has been conforming you to the image of Jesus. And you're not the person that you once were. And you realize that you are now gaining, slowly but surely, a character 
And that means the Spirit lives inside of you. Because the only way you're going to have Christ-like character is if the Holy Spirit is causing that conformity through suffering and struggle. Because no one ever looks back on the times of ease in their life. No one ever looks back on that vacation, uh, that 10-day vacation uh, in the Caribbean and says, man, that really grew and matured me. Man, do you remember those days when it was easy? Man, we would not be the people we are today if it was not for that season of comfort and ease. No one ever does that. You know what they do? They look back on the pain. They look back on the tears and the struggles. And they say, if we had not endured that, we would not be the people that we are today. Praise God for the suffering and the difficulty because it is producing in me character and that character gives me hope. Never look back on ease and say, man, that was awesome. That was fun. like to do that again. But never, God made me into the man that I am today because of that easy season in my life. Never going to do that. So included in this gift of justification is an unshakable hope in the glory of God. There's more. There is more for us than a not guilty included in God's gift of justification. There's more. We're only scratching the surface on this. You see, again, Romans 1 through 4 is uh, uh, Paul laying out the need for righteousness. And God's provision of righteousness in Jesus Christ. A basis for salvation. A basis for being reconciled back to Him. That was clear. We are unashamed of the truth of the gospel. Right? And now I want you to see that there is so much more than a not guilty verdict. The next four chapters are just unpacking the implications of justification. The implications of God's work of giving us and applying to us righteousness. That it's so much more. The gospel is so much more than we would give it credit for. Really, the simplest way to see this passage, is, is for me, was a visual. And really, the rest of these four chapters, all the way into June, that we're going to be looking at, right? This, this, this big gift that God has given to us called justification. Right? He hands us this gift. We receive this gift by faith. Right? We, don't, we don't earn it through works. We don't earn it through performance. No, it's done for us. And now it is given to us. And we simply receive salvation, receive justification by faith. And we have this gift. And we begin to open this big gift. We open it up. And then what do we find inside? We just find more gifts. We find more gifts that need to be opened. Right? It's not just this one gift of justification. It is the gift that is necessary to receive the other gifts. You can't have peace with God. You can't have standing in grace. You can't have a joy in the hope of the glory of God without justification. You, you can't have the gifts in the unless you have 
the gift. Is that making sense? Some of you are like, yeah, I played that joke on my wife last year for Christmas. And I wrapped her up a big gift, and then I annoyed her with 400 other gifts inside, right? Um, this is no joke. But that's the image that I see. God giving us a gift in Christ, justification. But there's so much more included in that gift than just simply a not guilty verdict. Understand this, it is nothing less than that, salvation. It is nothing less than a not guilty verdict. If you have been justified, you are not guilty in God's courtroom, amen? And that will not change. And as we see at the end of chapter 8, that if he's justified you, oh, he will glorify you, amen? So, again, this gift of justification, it's so much more than we would have imagined. The impact that it has on our life and our standing before God is so much more than we would have known. Don't miss that. Don't miss it. I'm praying and hoping that our appreciation deepens. Our worship heightens because we're seeing the multifaceted, all-inclusive nature of the gift of justification that oftentimes we have ignored or not been taught. And so we hope over the next 13 weeks to unpackage that, to one by one remove the gifts of justification and open them before you and lay them for you to receive by faith. Wouldn't that be a good thing? Tell me, tell me you don't want to learn more about what God has done for you in Christ and understand its implication to a deeper level. Could we not use that? There is more for us than a not guilty Included in God's gift of justification. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that there are people here that are looking for something more than the experiences and promises and ideas that the world is offering to them on a daily basis that they see on the news and hear uh, uh, from the world around them they're searching for something more that they would find what they're really looking for in their heart and that is Christ that they would have heard today the fullness of the gospel work that Christ has done for them that he has died for them rose from the grave for them and offers them a standing in grace and secured for them a righteousness, I pray that they would turn to Him even now. Every person in this room, no matter where they are in relationship to God, would turn to Jesus Christ and receive Him by faith and trust in His work. If there's anybody here today that craves assurance that God loves them, I pray that they would hear it today. That in Christ they are loved. They are secure. That because of His work they don't go in and out of acceptance, but that they have it. I pray that if people are here weary from trying hard and trying to be better and trying to perform and prove something even to themselves, that they would cease from that foolish pursuit and just trust in God and receive the grace and gift of reconciliation with Him. I pray that each and every one of us here today 
that has received it would see what is included in this not guilty verdict, that they would know peace with you, that they would enjoy gracious standing in you, and that no matter what they walk through in this life, they will always know that there is another day coming. There is a hope that is sure and steadfast, that the Spirit of God has been deposited into their hearts as a guarantee of the inheritance that is to come. May none of us be defined by the moment we know as now, but defined by the moment we know as the cross of Jesus Christ and defined by the moment, the return of our great King. Lord, bless these people. Draw us near to you. May our worship be acceptable in your sight. In Christ's name.